My name is Matt, I'm an alcoholic. Um, I guess uh, I'm starting, start off with my sobriety date, which is the end of June, um, coming up on a four-year anniversary, uh, the end of this, this June. Um, I, uh, I say that with kind of a question mark, just because, like, I had, uh, checked into a detox, um, the person who had taken me to the detox, um, actually encouraged me to have some drinks on the way into the detox that day, um, for fear of me having a seizure, um, and, uh, you know, I, I believe they had me on some pretty heavy meds my first day or two, so I don't necessarily count, um, uh, the day that I checked into detox as my sobriety date, but, um, I, uh, usually kind of go by the end of July, or, uh, yeah, end of June, I'm sorry. Um, yeah, I, um, one thing I kind of like to put out there in regards to my story is, uh, and something I struggled with in early sobriety is, um, not feeling a part of a certain, like, meeting that I might have been attending or um, finding the differences and not the similarities in a group of people that I might have been um, in a, a group of people, um, you know, whether it was a meeting or, you know, my rehab or whatever, you know, I've always kind of been a little bit of a black sheep and um, um, found a, a way where I didn't really quite fit in and... Um, Hopefully within my story, you know, everybody can um, connect um, in one way or another to that, uh, my story. And, um, you know, whether you have just like that one little story that, that um, is similar to yours or experience that's similar to yours, um, you know, at least uh, you can leave here and uh, have that connection that I believe we all share um, in our diseases of alcoholism and addiction. Um, so yeah, I, um, let's see, I was kind of born, I was born in, like, a, a family of alcoholics, but, um, not necessarily full-on practicing alcoholics. Um, my dad was a practicing alcoholic, but, um, you know, the other alcoholics in my life were, um, you know, my grandfather, who was a dry drunk, and, uh, you know, every, you know, once a year, twice a year, you know, he would, uh, you know, go to the bar and, uh, and tie it on and, and, you know, end up in the jail in the local small town that my, uh, my dad's side of the family was from. And, uh, you know, my, my grandmother would bail him out or his buddies would bail him out. Everybody knew each other in this small town. And, um, you know, it was just that extreme, you know, this pent up dry alcoholic behavior, you know, and, uh, you know, he was an old school cowboy that just, uh, I don't know, didn't really, didn't really show emotion, didn't really deal with life, um, you know, just kind of, uh, was a, a good old boy, and, um, you know, uh, he didn't drink a lot, but when he did, you know, it was, you know, knockdown, drag out, barroom brawl style, like, DUI, um, but it was all small town, you know, middle America, and so it was all, um, forgivable, um, in that community. Um, my... Parents split when I was two years old. I don't really recall them being together much at all. Um, I do have a slight, like, memory, and I don't know if that's, like, a memory that I've created from stories that were told, but um, I do remember, like, my dad and mom fighting when I was very, very, very young, and uh, um, I've always been very close with my mother, and, uh, like, uh, 
sticking up with for her, you know, in this uh, this fight that my dad and her were having, and um, I guess they had like a, a bowl full of change that they would collect. They were super broke, and uh, you know that was their their. You know, they would go out to dinner every now and again on that, that change that they saved, and uh, I guess I grabbed a handful of change and chucked it at my dad to, like, get him to stop fighting with my mom. Um, but that's really, like, one of the only early childhood memories that I, I have. Um, up until about the age of seven or eight, which is kind of funny because I, um, uh, due to recently going to therapy, I've kind of pieced together that... Um, I'd had a really, like, fuzzy early childhood memories. Like, I don't remember a lot at all. But the point of where my memories become very, very, very clear and I start remembering pretty much everything from my childhood was around the age 7 and 8, and that happens to be when my dad got sober for the first time in my life. And um, that's kind of crazy. Like, it just, like, really, um, it really hit me recently. Um... I don't know why that is, you know, I don't know if there was, like, some abuse that I'm kind of, like, blocking out or whatever, but, um, that was kind of a, kind of a big thing that came up. Anyways, um, my dad got sober when I was about seven or eight, um, I grew up in the program of Alcoholics Anonymous, um, you know, it was a, a pretty amazing place to grow up in, uh, regards to this sense of family that we all have, you know, um. You know, I see this over here, and it reminds me of my childhood. And, um, you know, I would kind of sit outside, or I'd kind of sit off to the side, and I didn't really understand what this was or what was going on, but I knew that my dad was um, a different person and that um, the people in his life were good people, and they took care of me. And, um, yeah, things were just so different, you know, Um in the year that he had gotten sober, I was kind of uh, sent off to live with my grandparents in uh, this small town in Wyoming called Big Piney. Big Piney had a population of like, I think 450, um, tiny, tiny, tiny town. Um, I grew up primarily in Long Beach, California, which is very near, close to LA, um, not far from San Diego. You know, it's very, uh, you know, big city. You got your ocean right there. You know, you've got the beach. Um, so, you know, I, I got shipped off to this tiny town in Wyoming, but I love to go visit my family there, but it was not a life for me at all. Um, you know, I, I show up in my Vans and my hypercolor t-shirt and my you know, vision streetwear <laughs> skateboard shorts, you know, and uh, was not prepped for a Wyoming winter. <laughs> you know, all the other kids were doing things like 4-H, and uh, I had no fucking clue what 4-H was. Um, you know, it was a, a world that was nothing that I knew I knew nothing about um and I think it was a pretty jarring experience for me as much as I love my family and had a good experience with them and they took care of me very good care of me um you know it was uh it was kind of a reverse culture shock um and uh I remember like I created like an imaginary friend's that I don't really think was real, but, like, I mean, obviously it wasn't real. <laughs> but I think it was more of, like, a cry for help, kind of just, like, a look-at-me kind of attention sort of seeking thing. Um, and uh, it, it was very short-lived. But um, I started acting out in school. Um, I started kind of, like, 
being the class clown and, and um, getting attention and stuff like that. And um, so, you know, my ninth birthday, my dad's gotten his shit together. My step, or my my grandmother uh, packs me up and <coughs> takes me back to California, and she travels with me um, to kind of I think like see my dad and make sure that like life was going to be okay for me and and make sure that he was in a much better place. And uh, she stayed about a week with us, and you know it was amazing. Like he gotten his shit together in this course of the year and gotten sober and, um, you know, had an apartment for me with my own bedroom for us. And, um, you know, it was really cool. And, uh, um, he was doing really, really good. Um, I feel like some of my, um, now looking back on it and I can see how some of my like alcoholic and addictive behaviors started in childhood in regards to, um, you know, I, I think back of, like, um, I always had, like, a stash of candy that I had hid somewhere in my room that I would eat kind of, like, at night when, I, like, it was bedtime and the lights were out and nobody knew about it, you know, and it's, um, hiding this, you know, this, uh, this substance, this thing that got me high that, you know, I utilized to, to change, have that change of feeling and who I was and, uh, um, yeah, it's funny to to think back on that, and uh, that that was pretty big in my childhood. There was always like a big sugar kind of addiction going on, and uh, even up into junior high, like I started like doing things with friends. Like I don't know if you all like ever did that thing where you'd kind of like hyperventilate, and then you'd like cross your arms across your chest, and like a friend would squeeze you from behind, and you'd get like that big old head rush and pass it, pass out for a second. I loved doing shit like that. Like I loved it. And uh, looking back on that now, like, those, I was totally getting high. Um, uh, you know, I was kind of, a, kind of a late bloomer in regards to, like, drugs and alcohol. I didn't really start, like, um, utilizing substances like that until about 13 or 14. I postponed that about 13 or 14 years. Um, but, uh, you know, I started dabbling here and there, I guess when I was like eight, maybe, you know, tasting alcohol and stuff, but never really getting fully fucked up. Um, casually starting to party when I was about like 13. Um, and then like 14, it was full on, like game on. I think 13, I had like my two big like party moments where like they were kind of like they were big red flag warning signs of like how my life was going to go in that direction. And, uh, one of them was getting really, I can't remember which one was my first time getting, like, drunk, drunk, but, um, you know, one of them was getting wasted with my cousins. Um, we were all together for a family reunion or something, and uh, um, we were staying in a cabin on somebody's property in Wyoming, you know, out in the middle of nowhere, and uh, we had got a bottle of uh, Aftershock. I don't know if any of you all remember that, but it was, like, this, like cinnamon liqueur with like rock candy crystals at the bottom and it was fucking gross cough syrup shit but like um you know we, we all got drunk off of it and uh my cousin nikki got to the drunk to the point of like uh you know we were all worried that she was gonna die or like choke on and vomit or something like it was it was bad i remember she was like white as a ghost and sweating and sick and we were all like nobody wanted to tell me the adults because we all knew we were getting trouble you know but it was like it was fucking scary. Like, she she was not in a good place. <laughs> um, and then another time, you know, where we went to a party, and I think it was, like, the end of junior high, beginning of high school or something, and uh, we made, like, a jungle juice. There was some sort of vessel that we all poured, like, bottles of whatever into, and it's just getting deathly fucking ill off that, you know. <laughs> like, 
throwing up, like this red colored whatever the next day. It was just fucking gross. Um, but yeah, so just dabbling kind of here and there. And that's, you know, it's normal people. That's not dabbling, you know, that's already like, oh, that's pretty fucking crazy um, in junior high to be doing shit like that. You know, and then along came the weed and, uh, you know, smoking a lot of weed with friends. Um, uh, my mom was living in Ventura at the time, uh, Ventura, California, and uh, had some neighbors there. And uh, it was this area of California, you know, there was a lot of forests and stuff like that. And a lot of people grew their own weed and there were a lot of bikers and a lot of meth and a lot of skinheads and a really weird area of California. Um, <laughs> really, really fucking weird area of California. Um, but um, really getting into weed there with my friends there. And uh, that's when I feel like I can definitely like pinpoint back to where my like daily use kind of started. And it didn't like continue to be 100% solid daily use, but like there was one particular summer where it was just like pretty much every day I woke up and then the you know, end game of the day was like, who's getting us booze? Who's getting us weed? You know, how fucked up are we getting and how? Um, and, uh, you know, it was fun. It was still really fun and we were having a good time with it. And, um, you know, I got into high school and, um, you know, my freshman year was relatively, um, you know, mellow, but um, I... Uh, I think sophomore year was when things really, really kind of started hitting the fan. And uh, my dad had remarried. He married my stepmom uh, my freshman year of high school, or maybe even eighth grade, I can't remember. I think it was eighth grade, and then um, we spent one more year in California. Ninth grade, uh, they decided that we were moving to Phoenix, Arizona. I can't remember exactly why, but um, we moved to Phoenix, Arizona. Um, I wasn't very happy about it, but I was like, you know, kind of kind of whatever about it. There wasn't a whole lot I could do. Um, and uh, yet again in my life, I kind of uh, went into this reverse culture shock where we moved to the Burbs. And, um, you know, it wasn't a small town, but it was like everything is fucking beige. You know? <laughs> everything is cookie cutter. There are no, there are no museums. There are no, there's no ocean. Um, you know, there's, uh, you know, it's just very straight up, I don't know, grid pattern, beige, American <laughs> suburban life, you know, and uh, I don't know, I just kind of like, I mean, I feel like I was at that age where people kind of start really experimenting, at least us, like us people kind of start experimenting <laughs> with booze and alcohol, but also, you know, definitely you know, being removed from, um, you know, where I had a lot of healthy artistic outlets and stuff like that, you know, it was kind of a, a kind of a, everyone just parties and gets fucked up and that's what you do on the weekends and that's what you do in your time off. And, uh, you know, I always, uh, gravitated towards the odd ducks and the weirdos and stuff like that. So I found my, you know, my gutter punk friends and my raver friends and my random friends, but, you know, we all had this one common, you know, connection of we all like to get fucked up and party and, um, you know, we were all different. Um, and, uh, yeah, there were good times, but, you know, I, I think back on it and, um, you know, a lot of issues in my family life started to pop up then, you know, fights with my father, um, you know, getting into a fight with him one night, you know, I'd been partying at my neighbor's house and I'd lied to him and told him that I was somebody else's house 
but we were at my like directly like neighbor's house in the backyard <laughs> in their hot tub getting drunk and he could hear me through his fucking window <laughs> and all of a sudden I hear like, Matt it's time to come home <laughs> and I was just like oh shit you know my dumb ass like I don't know why I didn't see that coming but uh you know him and I got into like a, a, our first physical you know um one of our only times that we got physical with each other but uh but yeah, it was just like, you know, stupid and stupid shit like that, you know, and then, uh, you know, started hanging out with friends that were uh, doing, you know, acid, and I started doing acid a lot. I did a lot, a lot, a lot of acid. I can't remember how many times I've done acid. Um, you know, I had a good friend, Jimmy, that he was my go-to guy, and every day, you know, I would come to school, and he was my good buddy, and... Uh, you know, he would score whatever he could for us, whether it was pills or acid or weed or booze or whatever, you know, just to get through the day. And, uh, you know, I'd party at school and I'd go to class and I'd go to class, you know, tripping balls on acid. And um, I functioned, you know, like I was functioning-ish, like something like that. But, like, uh, I was still going to class and everything, but I was obviously not there. Um, but yeah, you know, that that became a, a daily thing, um, you know, whether I had school, whether I had work, you know, getting fucked up was the priority. Um, you know, I, uh, I got my first job at Taco Bell, and uh, I was coming down off of acid at a mall that, like, had just opened that morning, and we were, like, walking around the property, and... Uh, I don't even know. I ended up, like, seeing that they were hiring and talked to the manager, and he gave me a job, like, on the spot. It was really fucking weird. I was coming down off acid. <laughs> and I took it, and I knew that that would kind of get my dad off my back because he was kind of pressuring me about, like, doing shitty in school and not taking care of what I needed to take care of and everything. And so I had a job, and I could, uh, you know, I'd get a little bit more leniency in regards to my lifestyle since I'd had a job. So, you know, uh, he backed off a little bit. Um, you know, and then, like, that stupid behavior continues. You know, I remember riding my bike um, home from work one night and stopping in this park nearby the mall that I worked at, the Taco Bell in this mall that I worked at, and, you know, stopping, and I was, like, you know, uh, smoking a bowl or something by myself, and um, I, uh park ranger rolls up on me. And, uh, you know, he catches me with the weed, takes my weed and he dumps it out on the ground and uh, he tells me to get out of there. And, you know, I was very lucky in that sense. You know, he didn't, you know, press charges, arrest me or whatever. But, uh, you know, the next day on my way home from work, I'm cruising past that park and I'm like, I wonder if that weed's still there. You know, and it's like fucking crumpled up in grass and stuff. And I like go and I'm like digging through piles of grass to fucking find little nugs of weed to, you know, try and salvage. And it's all wet from, like, the sprinklers that night. <laughs> and I, uh, I took it to the Taco Bell. <laughs> and I, it was before they opened that day, and I was like, they've got heat lamps. And so I laid the weed out. It's my co-worker's party, too, so I dried out the weed under the heat lamp at the Taco Bell before we opened that day. It was very resourceful. I really, I, I was very, you know, I, I think back on it now, and my parents had a pill encyclopedia, and I don't even know why they really had it, but, um, you know, I would scrounge through my parents' medicine cabinets looking for random pills, and uh, hopefully they were in this pill encyclopedia, and I could find out what they were, and if I might cop a buzz off of it or not. 
So it was just like from day one, like I've been, I mean, not day one, but like pretty, pretty early on, I've been a fucking garbage junkie. Um, you know, uh, primatine mist tablets. I remember really getting into like those like bronchial inhibitors. And I think that there was like, I think there was a famous model, Nikki Taylor's sister, someone died from those. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it's like over the counter shit, but like, you know, you can, you can really fuck somebody up with this stuff. Um, you know, we used to chug bottles of Robitussin. I remember doing that, like, <laughs> robo-tripping or robo-frying, we'd call it. Just the fucking, I drank mouthwash in high school. I, uh, mm-hmm. you know, it was just like anything and everything, you know, and, uh, I didn't see there being an issue at all, you know, I never really saw that, you know, that's how delusional, um, I am in my alcoholism and my addiction. Um, I, um... Dropped out of high school, two credits shy of graduating. I was in, I had government economics and one other class. So I had two classes a day for my senior year that I couldn't even stop partying enough to fucking complete to graduate high school and dropped out. Um, That's how fucking extreme my addiction and alcoholism is, you know, it's just like, those are the easiest classes, and uh, I just couldn't couldn't get out of bed early enough to make it to those classes to finish, you know, high school. And um, you know, shit had gotten real rocky with my dad, my stepmom. Um, I had a little brother during this time period. He was born when I was like uh, eight or uh, in eighth or ninth grade, <coughs> freshman. In um, you know, and uh, you know, my stepmom didn't know what to do. Um, she was also sober. They had met in the program of Alcoholics Anonymous. And um, she, my dad had started smoking weed. He was not in a good state. You know, this move to Arizona really, like, I don't blame the move, but um, a lot of shit just kind of, like, got fucked up. And um, he had started smoking weed. He wasn't drinking, but he was smoking weed. And, uh, oh, you know, it was right before... Um, Y2K, and he fucking lost his mind and was positive that the world was going to end. He really got into the Yawa conspiracy and, like, all this fucking weird conspiracy theory shit, and uh, he was smoking a lot of weed. He was, like, holding down a job, but I think it was real rocky because he wasn't really working, and, like, he was gardening a lot in our backyard. (laughs) And, uh, and I remember, like, smoking weed with him a couple times. Really fucking weird times. But, uh, I remember, like, my stepmom was not happy with me. And, you know, it was not, um, you know, my dad wasn't doing well. I wasn't doing well. My dad's mother had, uh, been diagnosed with extreme lung cancer and, uh, had, you know, like, less than a year to, um, you know, to live. And, um... you know, things like I remember coming home from school. My stepmom was sitting at the kitchen table and I, like my weed, my marijuana, you know, pipe, whatever was on the uh, kitchen table, and she was just, like, tapping her fingers on the table, you know, I was just like, fuck, I'm in trouble, you know, and I guess my little brother had gotten into my room, and he was three or four years old, and he, I guess, came out of my room, you know, like, blowing on it like it was a whistle, like he was a train conductor or something, and uh, she was furious about that. She was not happy at all, but, um, so... My dad lost his mind. My uh, my grandmother was dying. They packed up everything in the house. I think they threw everything into storage, and they moved temporarily to Wyoming to take care of her up until the time that she had passed. 
and I was finishing out, this was after high school, I was finishing out my job. Um, I had like two weeks left to finish my job. I was going to go to Wyoming until she passed, and then I was going to um, go move back to California with my mom, get on my feet, and uh, um, figure things out from there. So, you know, they leave party, you know, I was still in the house that we lived in, but it was empty because they packed everything up and I was just finishing out this time. And, you know, it was really weird. They like left me like a sleeping bag and some basic camping, camping equipment to like live in this <laughs> empty, desolate house while I was uh, finishing out this two weeks of work. And uh, so that became the fucking party pad, you know, and um, uh, so that, that two weeks, you know, it was just fucking nonstop party at this house. And then um, I can't remember if I just didn't end up showing up for like the last week of work or something like that. You know, that that always seems to be the theme is like, you know, getting so close to finishing something and then just saying fuck it and giving up, you know. Um, and I feel like that's another reoccurring kind of thing that a lot of us share is, uh, you know, just kind of throwing in a towel on things and, um, very easily. But I, uh, so I went to Wyoming. My grandmother passed. I think, like, she passed en route there, so I didn't even get to see her before she passed, but it was almost better that way that I didn't really see her in the state that she was in. And, um, you know, my dad and stepmom, I think that that was the end of their relationship there, and they ended up, like, splitting up. Um, you know, I moved in with my mom out in California, and um, I kind of, like, not intentionally, but I, the partying kind of, like, stopped just uh, geographically. I didn't really have the connections that I did, and... Other places, you know, I didn't have the same friends that I was running with, um, and I didn't really know anybody, and I wasn't 21, so I couldn't buy my own booze. So um, so I kind of, like, cleaned up a little bit unintentionally for a little while. Um, and then I met my good friend Summer, and uh, we just kind of, like, she was at that same place in her life, but she'd kind of done it on her own um, and was, like, just trying to kind of um, be better about her alcoholism and addictions. And, uh, you know, we started partying together and, uh, you know, we became like thick as thieves, you know, for years and years and years. And, um, her, her girlfriend and I, um, you know, we were best friends. We lived together. We had many apartments together. Um, they all ended up just being like shithole dump, you know, party pad, fucking awful places, you know, that... They were always just, like, had, like, shag brown carpet, and the carpet was, like, wet half the time for some reason, you know? You didn't really know, like, what had been spilled or what was there. Like, I remember I was, like, trash duty at one of the places that we had, and we had, like, a, a small kitchen, you know, reasonable kitchen-sized trash can, and, you know, there was this big, like, yard-sized trash can out, uh, like, for yard work for the complex that I had, like, stolen and I would brought into our apartment complex so I wouldn't have to take the trash out as often. <laughs> and uh, it was across the living room, so stay over in that corner, and we would just sit in the living room and drink whatever and, you know, toss our shit and the trash can across the room, and there's booze sprayed all over the place and um we started making friends in that area we weren't 21 yet but we made friends that would like let us go into the bars they worked at or whatever and get us drunk and uh there was one particular night that we were in this bar illegally and uh it got super plastered and um i knew that there was a bottle of my uh summer's girlfriend kim had a bottle of gray goose vodka at um the apartment in the freezer, and I knew it was there. You know, of course, I, I knew it was there. And uh, <laughs> um, 
the bar closed. You know, obviously we hadn't had enough to drink yet. And, uh, you know, we pull up, you know, driving drunk, of course. We pull up to the apartment and immediately, I don't know what I was thinking, like if I was going to steal it without them knowing or what, but immediately I just fly out of the car. I go running up into the apartment. I rip open the freezer door. I grab the vodka and immediately it slips from my hands, hits the ground and shatters. And they hadn't made it up the stairs yet, you know, they're, they're making their way up, and I was just like, and we couldn't afford that shit when I was younger, we couldn't buy it, because we weren't 21, it was after two, and I was like, oh, fuck, you know, and I just, like, ran into my room and pretended like nothing had happened. <laughs> <laughs> they came in, the fr- freezer doors chilling, just, like, wide open, a bottle of Grey Goose is smashed on the floor. And they confront me about it, and I was like, I don't know, I think Bo did it. And Bo was the bartender at the bar that night, and I made up this big, elaborate fucking story about how Bo had snuck into the apartment and smashed our Grey Goose bottle in the time between the bar and fucking crazy, delusional, alcoholic thinking. But uh, Kim and I uh, then proceeded to get onto our hands and knees and start slurping the vodka off of this filthy kitchen floor with glass shards and God knows who else in this filthy, filthy kitchen, you know? And, uh, you know, that's just kind of how I rolled, you know? <laughs> like, you know, if there was a way to get fucked up, you know, we were going to do it. And, uh, you know, straining bong water and getting the chunks out of the fucking bong or whatever, you know, and drying that shit out to smoke. Um, luckily, I never really got into anything harder than, like, coke or meth, you know? I, I think I smoked heroin once, but it wasn't really... I don't know, it didn't do much for me. Um, But yeah, um, you know, things got real, real gnarly. Um, You know, and we always had drama within our, our, you know, little unit. And uh, I um, moved to Long Beach. I can't remember what it was that took me to Long Beach, but um, we... uh, um, I was trying to kind of figure out where I was. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We started experimenting. Oh, they, they got into Coke. They got into a lot of Coke, and so we started doing a lot of Coke together. I had moved to Long Beach without them. They were still in Pasadena area, California, and uh, um, we would get together on the weekends and party together, and, um, you know, I introduced them to... Um, uh, we went to a rave together, and they wanted to experiment uh, with ecstasy, and so I'd gotten them, um, or found somebody that was selling ecstasy, and, uh, you know, this ecstasy that I acquired, you know, I was the guinea pig for it, and I was like, let me take it and make sure it's, uh, it's okay, you know, I don't want you guys, you know, having a bad trip or anything, so I take this ecstasy, and, uh, you know, I started to feel kind of like something coming on, I was just like, okay, it's good, it's good, we'll go buy some more, you know, so we go get some more, and, uh, as soon as they take the pills, I start to feel real weird. Like, really, really, really fucking weird. And, uh, um, you know, I'd done ecstasy, I'd done acid, I'd done a lot of drugs, and I was like, I've never felt like this before. And I mean, to the point of, like, where, like, my feet are sliding all over concrete like it's ice. Um, you know, this party ends up getting shut down by cops. It was a raid, and, like, they shut the party down, and so my friend Summer freaks out, saying that she thought it was Vietnam, and, like... <laughs> She tried to throw herself off the Santa Monica Pier where this party was going on, and, like, it was just really... She wasn't trying to commit suicide, but she was trying to escape. Like, I don't know. It was just this really weird fucking experience. Um, turns out later on, I'm looking back, and during that time frame in that rave scene, during that those uh, the years, a lot of people were making 
uh, fake ecstasy with PCP because it was a lot cheaper and they could sell it for $20 a pill and, uh, um, and you know, you'd sell it to somebody at a party and then disappear and you'd never see them again. And so I'm pretty sure that it was PCP just based on, like, our behavior that night. <laughs> Situations that had occurred. Um, but yeah, so Summer eventually moved. Uh, Summer and Kim broke up. Summer eventually moved to Long Beach, California. Um, she stayed with me for a while until she kind of was getting on her feet, and then we had gotten an apartment together with some other friends that we all worked together and, and partied together. Uh, this was my early 20s, and, um, you know, uh, all of a sudden, like, a lot of my anger, a lot of internalized anger would come out when my uh, drinking would happen, and a lot of my blackouts started. Um, you know, I would have blackouts before that, but... Um, this was a continual thing. And, I mean, we were daily drinking, you know. It was, uh, I wasn't drinking, you know, in the morning at that point quite yet. But, um, I, uh, you know, it was like as soon as we were off of work, you know, it was directly to the bar. And we knew the bartender, Dana, and she was amazing. And she would pour us 32-ounce-sized schooners of gin and tonic. And we would have, you know, you know it would be 1 in the morning after we got off of work. So we would have till 2 in the morning to power hour it in and get as fucked up as we possibly could in an hour and then you know walk outside of the bar the air would hit you and you would just be like blotto drunk and uh and I would black out and anger you know unplaced anger would come out and I would you know just start weird shit started happening you know I broke a window at one point in this apartment that we were living in and I think like I scared one of our female roommates which is really weird. Like, I don't, I'm not an angry person. And, uh, you know, this, um, I don't know, this, like, weird physical anger started to come out. And uh, they had reached out to my family, my dad and um, my stepmom and some other people in my life and uh, said, you know, um, Matt's got some stuff going on that, uh, you know, he needs to, needs to get some help. So uh, I walked into an intervention. Um, I tried to escape. I tried to run out my uh, side bedroom door. And, you know, my dad grabbed me and, uh, you know, talked me into it. And uh, um, luckily, my stepmom, her old sponsor, um, was able to get me into a, uh, uh, like, a... Um, a new rehab, but they uh, they needed to fill rooms or whatever, and so they got me in on a uh, scholarship, I guess they called it. So I went to this rehab for about a month, and I'd snuck weed into the rehab, and I think I had just agreed to go to this rehab to appease them at the time. Um, I realized as I was attempting to smoke weed at that rehab that night that I might have a problem. Um, that That moment, I was like, you know, like, this is really fucked up, you know, like, I just walked out of an intervention, I'm all shaken up, I've just gotten placed into this rehab in, uh, Orange County, California, and, uh, um, here I am trying to get high my first night in, and, uh, immediately I threw, I threw the, the weed in the toilet, and I flushed it, and I was like, you know, maybe I'll give this a go, um, and something clicked, you know, something clicked that night, um, I don't know what it was, but I ended up, um, you know, staying sober for almost seven years. Um, I, uh, and, you know, that was some of the best times of my life, you know. I, uh, I had amazing jobs. Um, I moved back to Arizona after I got out of rehab, um, like, within a month or two. And my dad had gotten, was getting sober again. He had gone out, <laughs> and uh, he was getting sober again. And uh, he called me and was like, you know, I'm, I'm kind of having a hard time. He's like, what do you think about coming and living with me rent-free and uh, we'll um, encourage each other to stay sober? 
And uh, I was like, yeah, that sounds that sounds amazing, you know, and we could kind of build on work on our relationships. So I moved back to Arizona with my dad, um, and uh, things were fucking awesome, you know, the best they've ever been in my life for about seven years, and, uh, you know, all due to the program of Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, and then I got really comfortable and complacent and kind of started uh, resting on my laurels and not really going to meetings. I'd been working in bars this entire time and everything, all of that was totally fine, you know, everything. I'd never had cravings, I never had issues. I was still able to have fun in my 20s um, and still go to shows and do things with my friends and not um, have the need to get fucked up. But um, as soon as I started, like, kind of slacking off um, in regards to, like, even just going to meetings or touching base with other people um, in the program or working with others, um, you know, things started to get dicey. And then my mom um, had gotten diagnosed with uh, cancer as well. Um, She'd kind of gone in and out of remission for quite some time, but this time it was really, really, really bad. Um, During this time as well, shit had hit the fan with my dad. He had gotten himself in sobriety into some pretty intense legal... um, a situation uh, he'd had some inappropriate um, interactions online with a it was a sting operation but it was a minor um, uh, female and uh, had exchanged some photos and uh, um, our house was raided um, I wasn't there at the time his girlfriend uh, called me and let me know what had happened um, she didn't want me to come into craziness and uh, I had gotten Really fucked up that night. Oh, so I'd started drinking. Sorry. <laughs> <So it> started <laughs> Right around this time with the news of my mom, um, you know, not keeping a, a solid foundation with my program, you know, I, I had started drinking. And, uh, um, you know, it was, it was very manageable for, like, a month. <laughs> um, and, my, and my dad will tell you that, you know, he's like, you did pretty good for about a month. <laughs> Um, and then, you know, and then it was DUIs and drug charges, you know, multiple DUIs, multiple drug charges, all within the period of, like, a year. Um, like, I really fucking did it good, you know, I got fired from a couple jobs, um, I, uh, this raid happens, my dad got in trouble, um, luckily he stayed sober through all of that, um, you know, he's still dealing with a lot of legal situations in regards to that, but, um, you know, I think that a lot of this shit, you know, not having the program that we have to deal with these life situations that get thrown at us, um, you know, I resort back to my old behaviors of drinking and using and not processing the things that I'm going through and feeling, and, uh, so I started, um, you know, partying really fucking hard and, and bad shit just starts happening and it's way worse than it was before, you know, in regards to legal situations, DUIs, you know, um, I decide to move to Texas. This was eight years ago. And, uh, you know, I was just in Peter Pan fight or flight, you know, get the fuck out of here. Nobody knows me here. I can party as hard as I want to. It's a party town. Um, Nobody's going to be worried about me. You know, my whole support system and group of friends that has known me in sobriety won't be here, and they can't be concerned about me. And, um, you know, it's really fucked up. I abandoned a lot of people and, uh, you know, fucked up a lot of relationships that I'm still, like, kind of working on getting back and trying to, you know, get back to where they were. Um, But, uh... I had a horrific, you know, my mom's super sick during this time, you know, she's, um, 
dying of cancer, I'm hiding from her, I'm not processing her health, I'm, you know, just fucking hiding from everything, and, uh, I had a horrific bike wreck, I was in the hospital in Round Rock for, like, five days, four nights, like, three major brain bleeds, broken jaw, busted teeth, um, I uh, was out of work for about a month, I couldn't, you know, jaw was wired for a month, I couldn't work, I couldn't talk to people, and I'm in the service industry, so... Um, it was gnarly. It was really, really bad. And, uh, you know, I still didn't get the seriousness of my alcoholism and my addiction. Um, and then I get winds of, you know, I get fired from a couple more jobs and just keep fucking up. And, uh, I get wind that my mom is doing, um, really, really bad and that she's moving to Oregon and, uh, she uh, is going to be there with our family in Oregon. And, um, I, uh, that I need to get there as soon as possible. Um, we have family there that could take care of her and she wouldn't have to worry about finances so much. And um, basically in all of this going on, um, you know, in this very short, fast time frame of time, you know, I, uh, hospice has been brought in. Um, they've given her, you know, maybe 24 hours. I'm trying to get to Oregon as fastly as possible, you know. Um, I walk in the door, you know, I'd been partying super hard and not even partying, just like maintenance drinking, you know, trying to not deal with what was going on. And, uh, you know, she comes out of the state that she was in when she hears my voice and she pulled through for like another three months while I was able to be there with her and take care of her with hospice. Um, and my, and my family there that I got very close with, this was her side of the family that I didn't really get to grow up with. And so we developed this amazing relationship um, but this whole time, you know, I'm, um, you know, during the daytime, I'm taking care of her and I'm not drinking, but as soon as it's like around her bedtime and like, she's, you know, doped up on her, you know, morphine or whatever painkillers she's on, you know, for what she's going through, you know, that's when I start drinking and dealing with that. And, um, you know, she, she passes after three months. Um, and, uh, it was the hardest thing I've ever gone through in my life. Um, I have so much shame and so much regret and so much ugh, just awfulness, you know, just heaviness in regards to her having seen me in such a good place in my sobriety before and uh, me really having had been there for her and uh, and then, you know, just not not being the person that I, she knew I could be um, and, you know, just uh, just a lot of, a lot of stuff there. Shortly after that, I, uh, I think within a month of her passing, I started having seizures. Um, I've had countless seizures. I couldn't even tell you how many um, multiple ambulance trips to the hospital. Uh, during this time, I'd moved into the apartment complex where Reese and I kind of know each other from. And uh, we didn't really know each other there, but um, he would see me sitting outside of my apartment complex. And, uh, you know, I'd be chain-smoking cigarettes and drinking and... Um, you know, passed out in my chair out there, like, <laughs> cigarette burning my fucking chest or whatever. Um, but, uh, yeah, Reese would, Reese would come and chat with me every now and again, and I don't know that I knew that he was in the program. I knew that some people in the complex were in the program, but I didn't really know fully. I was so out of sorts and everything. Anyways, the immediate group of family and friends that I had made here in Austin finally kind of just, like, hit a point of me needing to do something. They couldn't stand by and watch me living the way I was living anymore. And uh, 
knowing that I had been sober at certain points in my life and uh, that I was a totally different person during those times, um, you know, finally kind of came forward and just said, you know, we can't, we can't continue to sit here and watch you do what you're doing. Um, so we need to kind of like put a pause on our relationship right now. And I think that that was just kind of that light bulb moment for me that it was just like, okay, like this is, you know, this is something I need to fucking deal with for real this time. And, uh, I called a mutual friend that I knew was kind of connected with people in the program. She set me up with somebody, uh, named Lisa that, um, ended up taking me to a detox and, uh, you know, I met Lisa and she had a cup of coffee and I had a double tall gin and tonic <laughs> and, uh, she, that she encouraged me to have because she was afraid I was going to have a seizure on the way to detox. And, um, I, uh, you know, I knew that I didn't know to go, need to go to rehab again. I knew that, you know, I'd, I'd, uh, already gotten that $30,000 big book or whatever they call it, you know, um, <laughs> you know, I knew that I needed to be medically supervised and to detox and, then just to get directly back to the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous. And um, that's how this works. And, uh, you know, I remember getting out of detox, and I called uh, another person that uh, recent I know really well, too, named Bonnie, and uh, we had worked together and said, you know, I just got out of detox, I need to go to a meeting. And uh, she took me to 1313. And um, I walked into 1313, and I can't remember if you were at that particular meeting but literally half of our apartment complex <laughs> was there. And it comes to find out this guy named Russell um, was the a property manager or something like that. Um, and so he kind of ch- picked and chose the tenants that lived in this apartment complex that I happened to live in. And uh, so between Bonnie, who I'd worked with before, Reese, Marnie, all these other people... I walked into this meeting and half of the fucking room I already knew. And it was just like this, like, oh, fuck, this is real kind of moment. Like, these people are going to keep me accountable. And, you know, they've seen me here now. And this is, I'm doing this. I, you know, I really have to do this. And I don't know. It's just, you know, that was such a blessing in disguise. I don't know that I had, if I didn't have that built-in family that was already in place there, um, I mean, I, I knew I needed to take it seriously, but that was a huge, huge, huge thing for me to to stick around. And uh, and so, yeah, I'm trying to think. It's been almost four years now. Um, you know, I've uh, gone in and out of being really active. Um, I'm not currently very active, but I'm at this place where I'm kind of getting back to reconnecting a lot of life changes are occurring right now and um you know i just as of all days today it was kind of funny my director of operations at my workplace had a meeting with me in regards to taking over position as store manager at my workplace and uh just like all this stuff kind of like you know this uh, opportunity to speak with you guys tonight and to share you know my story of experience strength and hope and uh you know um you know life it gets amazingly better so quickly, you know, and, you know, even at times when all I'm doing is making meetings, you know, things are just incrementally better. I don't recommend strictly doing that. Um, you know, we have steps to work, you know, we have other people to work with, you know, we have service work to do, but, um, you know, even when I'm doing my bare minimum, as long as I'm keeping my little toe in the water, you know, and staying connected to y'all, 
and this meeting and this, you know, this uh, home group and people that will keep me accountable. The program of Alcoholics Anonymous uh, life is absolutely incredible. And, uh, you know, I have all that to thank due to the program of Alcoholics Anonymous and these wonderful people in my life. And uh, that will pass. Thank you. Woo!